Welcome back to the Metal Exchange. Justin and Chris back again, back to our regularly scheduled format as we cover Rhapsody's Symphony of Enchanted Lands going back over 25 years to October 5th, 1998. If that doesn't make you feel old, my friend, I don't know what will. Um, how you doing, bud? Uh, doing, doing good. Uh, getting uh, back to the normal uh, format here, which is cool. Um, we uh, didn't um, uh, announce this uh, album ahead of time, so um, surprise. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> but uh, this, this is, um, uh, you know, I was looking through our our history and I noticed we had only ever really talked about one Rhapsody album before um, not counting the, the most recent um, to really, to really Leone um, Rhapsody album that we did uh, before Prague power a couple of years ago. Um, But we had done legendary tales, which um, I think um, if if memory serves, I think I'd, I'd gave you the choice between Legendary Tales and Symphony of Enchanted Lands, and you chose Legendary Tales, so now we're uh, circling back and we're going to talk about the second release. Um, you know, these were the the two uh, albums by Rhapsody that came out while we were still in high school. I believe the following album, well, I think we would have been freshmen in college by the time Dawn of Victory was released. I remember listening to that album in college quite a bit, but... Um, yeah, uh, this is uh, definitely uh, harkens back to a simpler time, at least for me. So uh, I have uh, lots of thoughts on this, and uh, I'm looking forward to talking about it. Nice, as am I. It's a it's an interesting choice. Um, definitely a formative band, I think, for both of us in many ways. But uh, I'll leave that discussion uh, to the side just for a little bit. I'm excited to talk about new music that I've been listening to because now that um, now that we're done with our best of 2023 episode, I've kind of been focusing on a lot of new stuff. And I, I, I guess I'd be remiss not to mention the fact um, our lists are going to be out for everyone to see by the time this episode drops for our non-Patreon folks. A um, lot, of, lot of good comments that I've seen so far about the last episode and our recap of 2023 as a whole. That's always a highlight for me. But uh, yeah, I can't believe it's another year in the books and now we forge forward. Um, I'm curious to see if there was anything in particular that you've heard. You know, we're only what, two and a half weeks into 2024, but I heard a good album, uh, two good albums really I wanted to mention. The, the first was the newest Magnum album, Here Comes the Rain. This is a band that like, they've been around forever. They play that, you know, accessible brand of hard rock that I think is um, very, very enjoyable. And obviously a lot of people are familiar with Bob Catley, the singer from his um, work with Avantasia. But I, I would never say that any of the albums are tens or that they're like the most spectacular thing you've ever heard but every time i put them on i'm like i enjoy this this is good stuff and the new one is no different again it's called here comes the rain definitely worth a listen and uh another like band from england which or i should say a, a um project if you will 
Damian Wilson has recorded a couple of albums now with a guy by the name of Adam Wakeman. And I have to admit, I never knew who Adam Wakeman was. So I decided to look him up and it turns out he's actually playing keyboards for Ozzy and has been for some time. And these two guys have worked together on Headspace and some other projects, but they do these um, essentially like acoustic rock or progressive rock albums together. And if Damian Wilson is singing on it, I'm going to give it a listen just because the guy, much like a Daniel Hyman or something like that, I love his voice. He can do no wrong. He's unique. He sounds different. And and these albums are no different. So the two of these guys just put a uh, album out together. Um, long overdue. It had been a few years since the last one. And it's called Can We Leave the Light On Longer? Ten tracks, progressive rock, acoustic stuff, very easily digestible, kind of easy music to listen to while working in the background. Uh, definitely worth a listen. There's a couple of standout tracks on there as well. So just a couple of things that I wanted to mention um, that, uh, you know, bands that we haven't really talked about so much in the past. Yeah, I, Magnum's one of those bands that I've always wanted to check out because I love Bob Catley's vocals on the Avantasia albums that he appears on and, and the live, uh, you know, CDs and DVDs that he's been on. And um, just a big fan, uh, but I don't really know the, that band very well. And it's one of those things where you look at their discography and you just like throw your hands up and you're like, never mind. Daunting. You look at it, you're like, I don't even know where to start, you know? Yeah. Marillion is another band like that for me where like I've always that's been interested a band we in have listening to, cover. to them and that's like, yeah. oh God. And they've um, had different er- – that's a, that's another story for, for another podcast, but they've had so many different iterations and eras Um Lot, lot of, lot of meat on the bone there. That's a band we definitely yeah. need to cover. I, I think point. I'll, I think I'll give the, uh, the new Magnum a listen and maybe just start with the latest one and work backwards. I, I guess. think it's representative. Um, I really do. I think you'll. First of all, I think you'll enjoy it. I don't know that it's going to be your album of the year, but I think you're going to enjoy it. And I think that at the end, you're going to be like, I enjoyed that, and you might even go back and check out some other stuff. But if you're looking for a place to start, no better, no better spot than the new one. I'll say that much. Yeah, yeah. I, I did that with, a, I believe, a, a couple of bands in 2023 where I was just kind of like, oh, what the hell? Narnia was one of them. It was like I'd never listened to a, a full Narnia album before. I was like, oh, let me give this uh, new Narnia album a shot. And I ended up really liking it. I think it, it ended up making my top 25 for the, the year. It was a really enjoyable album. So I, I think I will continue uh, doing that with some of these other bands I'm not as familiar with. Um I've only had a chance to list the two new albums this year. Uh, one of them is from, I, I I think we had only mentioned this on our uh, bonus episode for January, so I, I'm not repeating myself to most people, but um, the Grandmaster, uh, which is a, a project from, um, you know, a former metal exchange guest, uh, Jens Ludwig uh, of, of Ed Guy fame, um, they have a new album called Black Sun. It, it, it's uh, him with uh, Alessandro Del Vecchio, who um, also is a part of uh, Edge of Forever and plays keyboards uh, for Yorn Land. And um, is on every Frontiers release. It seems. Yeah, it seems that way. Um, he was a key, he played keyboard on the most recent Archon Angel album. Uh, he's in Sunstorm and the Grandmaster. I guess is a. Him and, and Jens's uh, baby, um, and they have a new vocalist on this album, uh, Per Johansson from Denmark, who um, sings with the band Fate. Uh, he is replacing um, 
Nando Fernandez, who uh, was the the luchador. Uh, yes, the luchador. He was a Brazilian vocalist on the first album uh, titled Skywards, and uh, yeah, this. Um, so yeah, this album is called. Black Sun, um, it's pretty much in the same vein as that first album. So if you enjoyed that, I think that you will enjoy this as well. But the album that... Um, Let me just cut you off for one second. I just wanted to mention one other thing about Alessandro Del Vecchio. I, I joke about him and, and being on every Frontiers release. He's actually their in-house producer. So he produces so many albums for the label that like he finds his way onto a lot of them. So I say it tongue-in-cheek, but there actually is a reason for it. So okay. I just wanted yep. to insert that. That makes sense. Um, and then the other uh, album that I listened to that I really enjoyed and is my album of the year <laughs> right now is uh, Exit Eden's uh, Femme, Femme Fatale. Um, the, this was a four-woman uh, fronted band that um, is now a three-woman fronted band. Um, the uh, you know, original vocalist, um, the... Incomparable Amanda Somerville. Um, she had left the project. She was part of it for their first album, Rhapsodies in Black. But the band continues on with uh, Marina La Taraka, who is the vocalist from Phantom Elite. Um, Clementine Delani, who is the vocalist for uh, Visions of Atlantis. And Anna Brunner, who is the vocalist for League of Distortion and has also done some... Uh, live vocals with Camelot in the past. Um, the, their first album was uh, entirely a covers album, if, if memory serves. I don't know that there were... No, there were not any um, original songs on it. This album is actually about half and half. It's about half covers, half original tunes, and there's some really good original stuff. We had mentioned uh, the song Run that they worked on with Marco from formerly of Nightwish. Uh, that's a really excellent track. Um, there's some really cool covers, including It's a Sin from Pet Shop Boys, Separate Ways from Journey, uh, Poison from Alice Cooper, Alone from Heart, and uh, the aforementioned Marillion. They did uh, Kaylee as well. But um, I just enjoyed this album on a whole. Uh, the I thought the covers were really well done, and I thought the original material was really well done. And I think this is a really uh, a really awesome step forward for this band, which, cause I kind of was assuming that that first album might've just been a one-off. Um, so it, it seems like they're continuing on and, and this is a, a really a great step in the, in the right direction. Yeah. Well said. I liked it as well. I, um, I'm curious to see if it has the staying power because there are so many covers on it, but they do a good job with them. And the original material was surprisingly good. So, um, I hope they transition out of the covers, maybe put on just a couple as bonus tracks on some of the albums, but um, lots of promise from the original compositions. So good stuff. Um, and now we move, uh, now we move to Rhapsody and it's, and it's funny because, you know, legendary tales comes out in 1997, just a year later, they come up with this follow-up release and, as much as I like legendary tales and, and obviously it's something we've talked about in the archives and I, I, I remember that discussion well because I remember it took a little while for us to actually do that album, which is somewhat shocking to me when you really think about it. Um, but I say that to say, you know, it's, it's, it's a seminal release in many ways just because of how 
impactful it was on power metal in general and symphonic metal. It was, you know, nothing sounded like this in 1997. But for my money, I think they basically took all the stuff I liked about Legendary Tales and kind of ratcheted up a little bit on this album just a year later. I thought the production was better. I thought the compositions were better. I thought it was more well-balanced. So as much as I have a soft spot in my heart for Legendary Tales, I always thought this was the better release. So I was looking forward to covering it with you because I don't know if I'm in the minority there. I know you're a very big fan of that first album. Uh, Just by way of kind of recollection, you had rated Legendary Tales 9.25, which is a really high score. I gave it an 8.5. I'm curious if this touches that rarefied air because once you get to 9.5 you're talking about like desert island all-time great discs um and it was nice to go back and listen to it because it had certainly been a while for me yeah i i think that those are all very good points um i think that we're gonna be in a little bit of of disagreement um because i think that this this for me is is of the first three Rhapsody albums, probably my least favorite of the three. Interesting. Um, not to say that I, I don't love it and it's not a great album, but um, I I stick by my original score for Legendary Tales, which, like you said, was a, a 9.25. And I went back and I listened to Dawn of Victory right after I listened to Symphony of Enchanted Lands just to see if I was listening through, you know, rose-colored headphones, I guess. Yeah. Uh, just to coin a phrase, but um, because I had always really held Dawn of Victory very high and, and I listened to it a lot when I was uh, in college along with, there's a couple of albums that came out around that time that I remember that, The Dark Ride by Halloween, um, The Keepers of Jericho, that first Halloween tribute and, and uh, the first Avantasia metal opera. They, those albums all kind of came out around the same time and I listened to the, all of them pretty obsessively um but i went back and and i just i enjoyed dawn of victory uh, overall just a bit more than symphony of enchanted lands and i think i like it even more than legendary tales it's probably my favorite of the three and we'll i'm sure cover that album in long form in the future so just as a kind of a spoiler alert to my score to forthcoming it won't be uh <laughs> higher than a two a nine point two five, I'll say that. And um, so, when you went back to Dawn of Victory, did it hold up for you? Because without again going in too deep in the weeds, there for me, I always thought that was the weakest of the three. Um, and I'm not going to say it didn't click. I just didn't think it was as good as the as the other two. Yeah, I, it definitely held up. I, I still think that it's the best of the three. Um, I think it's the most well balanced, and I think that. Um, I don't know. There's just some songs on on Symphony of Enchanted Lands that I think are are like good but not great, and um, and it doesn't have as many of the flat out bangers that Legendary Tales had. That you know your Land of Immortals and your Flames of Revenge, and the, and there was just so many songs that were just like this one. I think has more. They're, they're they're trying i think there's more symphonic elements than in that first album it's it's more of a an orchestral album and and it has more of that going on that then it's less power metal than legendary tales and more uh symph- symphonic and and not that that's a bad thing i just think that um i enjoyed the the previous release a bit more i don't know if i've always felt that way i just always remember holding 
both those first two albums in, in very high regard. That said, I still think this is a really, really excellent album. I just think that um, it's uh, it kind of dips for me in the middle. It starts out really strong and it ends really strong, and then it dips a little in the middle, whereas I think the the album prior to and the album the following stays pretty consistent from start to finish. So that's really my only gripe, I guess I could say, but I still really like this album a lot. Okay. I I think that's fair. I mean, I don't, I'm not going to say it's a perfect album, um, but I, again, spoiler, I think it's going to be a little bit higher than, uh, it's funny because we never do the ratings up front, but I feel like we're giving, we're letting the cat out of the bag a little bit. I think this is for me a little bit better than, than legendary tales. And I think my score will ultimately reflect that. Um, for those that don't know, Luca Torelli and uh, Alex Tarapoli on obviously guitars and keyboards respectively are, are composing all of this music. And truly the word is composed because this is some really um, orchestral compositions here that it, it, to, to say that they pen these songs, I don't think do, does it justice. Uh, but Luca Torelli writes all the lyrics and obviously the rest of the band, Fabio Leone on vocals Alessandro Loda on bass and Daniel Carbonera on drums and uh, percussion. And there's a million guests on this thing from Sasha Pyth to Thomas Recchi of Heaven's Gate as he has worked with Luca in the past and just a number of other musicians that worked on uh, everything from the harpsichord to the contrabass, the cello, violin, oboe, etc. I mean, the, the list goes on and on. But they, they really went all in here in terms of the production and the scope of the sound that they were trying to achieve. And I, I think they do a nice job because I think that in many ways it does have a much fuller classical sound uh, as compared with the first album. And, and I think that's part of the attraction for me. Yeah, I, again, I, I can't really disagree with, with any of that. It seems like they took what was their goal with Legendary Tales and really, it, it, maybe just because of the success of that first album, they, they really went uh, and dove into you know adding more of those uh, classical instruments and just really blending the that symphonic style with the um, power metal style, even more so. Um, this just feels, I mean, the fact that it has symphony in the title, I really tells the story. Like, I just think that it's, it has more of a symphonic and almost theatrical feel to it compared to the previous album. And I think that they continue on that road with the, with the subsequent albums. Um, but this, I feel like is where they really, I don't know if it had anything to do with like a budget and then they actually had more of a budget this time around and they were able to just do more and actually have all these like instruments. This was always one of those bands where I so badly wanted to see them play live with like the full, the choruses and the orchestras and just have like the whole presentation I thought would have been the coolest thing. And like a Trans-Siberian orchestra style, but with Rhapsody. I don't know that it would sell nearly as many tickets, but uh, I I just think it was something I always was hesitant about getting excited about seeing Rhapsody live because I knew that it would be so difficult to recreate that sound that, that, that is, and this album, especially there's just so much going on that goes beyond guitars and bass and drums. Um, that said, they do a hell of a job live in, in, in spite of that. Um, but 
I think you do lose just a, some of that by having some of these, these, you know, classical instruments being piped in and stuff. And a lot of it, I think is recreated by a keyboard. Um, it's cr- kind of insane to think about how the last time we saw Rhapsody play live, they didn't even have a keyboard player on stage. They, like all of this stuff was piped in and it was literally just Fabio and the, and Luca and, the drummer and the bass player and the other, and the other guitar player. And it, they sounded phenomenal, but I mean, it just, um, I think live you get more of just th- this is a power metal band. You don't, you kind of lose some of that symphonic part of it. Um, and this is kind of a reminder of just how symphonic this band really was. Right. And especially in those early days, there was really not a lot like this at this time. No. And I agree. And we often talk about how, live bands without keyboard players suffer. Uh, Sabaton always comes to mind from those early Sabaton shows where they actually had the live keyboards. It made all the difference in many ways. Rhapsody might be one of the anomalies because they're so keyboard laden and so many different elements to the overall sound that number one, from a cost production standpoint, they couldn't do it live. They couldn't replicate that sound live, but there's so much going on that you almost need to pipe it in, but they do it in such a way where it doesn't make the live show suffer. So I would consider them kind of an anomaly in that regard, but uh, yeah. Uh, I still uh, think it would be better though with like the full Monty, you know? Yeah, but I would only, would it be too much almost? Would it be just such a wall of sound that it would actually be hard to digest? I, I just throw that out there. I don't know. I hope so. I'd love to <laughs> I, see it. I, I mean, I, just one time. I just think it would be super cool. It's a shame uh, Christopher Lee is no longer with us to narrate the whole thing. Yeah, um, that's a, that. That's one of the reasons this album is not perfect. We'll we'll get there. We'll get there. But uh, this album kicks off with uh, your standard symphonic power metal intro. Uh, it's called Epicus Fuhrer, and it really is this upbeat, dark intro track that could have easily been on like the lord of the rings the lord of the rings soundtrack um the operatic nature i think of this track is is a luca Turilli staple and i i don't want to take alex sarapoli out of the mix but i feel like that has lucas thumbprints all over it and it certainly gets you pumped for the first song emerald sword which might be the most well-known rhapsody song of them all i want to just say i mean if it isn't number one it's absolutely in the top three um and I'll, I'll get to that momentarily, but I want you to chime in. Talk to me about Epicus Fuhrer. What a way to start this thing. Yeah, it's, uh, you know, I think it, it, I don't know that there is a Rhapsody album that doesn't start out with that one to one and a half minute, you know, classical style intro. They did it um, on Legendary Tales, although it was more of like a kind of a harpsichord kind of sound. Whereas this is like the full orchestra, just like, very bombastic a word that we used to use a lot more often and then became aware of how often we were using using it and then cut back a little bit and now i'm bringing it back um back so uh yeah and it's it really makes for the the perfect um you know setup for emerald sword and i i have to agree i i I would be surprised if 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 rhapsody considered something else there most well-known or most popular song. I'm pretty sure it's pretty much how the, like every form of Rhapsody that has somehow split off of this band finishes their live shows, whether it's, you know, Rhapsody of Fire with, with Alex Staropoli, or if it's Luca Torelli's Rhapsody, or I don't know, there's so many Rhapsodies. Um, or there track. were so many. 
I think at this point, it really is just Rhapsody of Fire. Um, I don't know that Luca Torilli and, and Fabio are like an active group at this point. Um, it sounds like, um, from what I've heard in interviews and stuff, it sounds like Luca's kind of moving away from this style. And like that show we saw at Prague Power was kind of like a, almost like a goodbye to the old, the old stuff. It was, you know, I, I, I repeat, I said this before, but I was, um, the whole reason I chose that, that new album was because I wanted to familiarize myself with this new material and they came out and they didn't play a damn note from it. Um, it shocked me. It yeah, shocked me. It was similar to what Stradivarius did that year where I think that they were just kind of like, we're going to play for the old school fans, uh, play the old shit as Pat would, <laughs> would say repeatedly. Um, but they, they both did it. It was amazing. Um, I really wasn't complaining at all. Um, it was just very surprising. Um, but it seems like that was kind of like a swan song for Luca doing that style of music. It seems like he's moving more towards the, the maybe the classical side of things uh, and not less of the metal side. That said, um, this I, I remember I bought the box set for this album when it came out and it came with all this wild stuff. It was like dragon tattoos and like a necklace <laughs> and these like cards. And it had a book with like a very like deep bios and like all the lore of the, the first two albums it was really interesting stuff. And uh, I just remember Luca Torelli, one of his biggest inspirations was the keeper era Halloween albums. And it was like, he took the, that kind of style of power metal and married it with this symphonic, like just huge, huge sound. And then you bring in Fabio Leone with these iconic vocals and it just all comes together. And, and Emerald Sword is kind of just like the epitome of all of that. Um, it's just such a, I, I would say that not only is it like Rhapsody's most well-known song, but I think it, most people would say it's like a, one of the great power metal, you know, epic, uh, you know, uh, anthems. Yeah, I think that's well said. And in many ways, um, like I said, the, the song is really synonymous with, with the band at this point. That wonderful riff that just kicks it off. I mean, it's just, it's forever ingrained in my head. But what I think really pops to me is like the violins and all these classical instruments that just add these layers on top um, to what's otherwise just a, a good power metal song. Good verses this huge catchy chorus and what struck me as I went back this time is how young Fabio sounded like you could tell there was not a lot, a lot of wear and tear on the vocals at that point not that he doesn't sound good I mean obviously I like the new anger album quite a bit um, but he just kind of goes up an octave towards the end of this song and he just starts wailing on this thing and it is so refreshing to hear Um and the, that instrumental section on this really was reminiscent of the first album in many ways. This is like your classic Rhapsody song. And if you don't like this, I think it's fair to say you're not going to be a fan of this band. <laughs> yeah, I think that's pretty fair to say, yes. Um, we get into Wisdom. And, and, and it's also just one of those songs that I think we gravitated towards a lot as kids. But as I've gotten older, there's other songs on this album that I actually like more. And I point to Wisdom of the Kings is one of those songs. I went back and I listened to this this week and I'm like, you know what? I, I don't know that I would have guessed it going in, but it is my song of the week. I am a huge fan of Wisdom of the Kings. So without kind of uh, 
you know, getting into the details, let's give it a listen. And then I'll come back and I'll kind of walk you through why I chose uh, this track for my song of the week. starts off with this whimsical intro and I you never know where it's going to go and then all of a sudden this keyboard driven upbeat but just a tad slower than Emerald Sword um, this power metal song comes on and you're like you know what this is it, it blew me away and, and it was like I was listening to it again for the first time even though I know the song you know rather well um I love the verses and I love how they layer Fabio's vocals as part of this because you really hear it pop when you hear it's like Fabio's singing in three different registers at the same time. Um, tons of harpsichord on this thing, which is a nice touch and an instrumental section that comes right out of a movie score for like a fantasy movie. Um, this to me is the quintessential track on this album. It's my song of the week. Um, I know you're a fan of this one as well. Yeah, it's my song of the week also. I've always loved this song a lot. And I remember um, the, I believe it was, if it wasn't this album, it might have been the, um, might have been the Dawn, the Dawn of Victory box set came with a bonus disc that had uh, like a, you know, a multimedia section. This was a thing that they used to do where you'd pop the disc into your computer and there'd be music videos and all this extra stuff. And I remember there was, I was like, oh, there's a, a music video for wisdom of the Kings. And it really is just one of those videos where it's just like the band playing other songs live and they're just interspersing random clips. And it, it kind of looks like they're playing it live, but they're but not really. obviously not. But I always thought that was like super cool. And when I would eventually add it to the ever growing mix of power hour videos, I was always more excited to hear this song than I was for Emerald sword. And I think Emerald sword just got kind of overplayed. Yeah. And the, but I'll tell you something that I found really interesting about these early Rhapsody albums is that I always thought that the third track on all of these early albums was always like this underrated gem after these like really like well-known opener. So like going back to Legendary Tales, you had Era Tenox, which was the intro going into Warrior of Ice and Warrior of Ice is like one of the most memorable songs on the album if not in the history of rhapsody and then but then like it follows with rage of the winter which is such an underrated tune i think compared to some of the other songs i agree on legendary tales symphony of enchanted lands similar one of my favorite songs on dawn of victory is actually triumph from my magic steel which follows dawn of victory which is the second track on that which follows a two-minute symphonic intro 
And then, you know, going to Power of the Dragon Flame, which was like the final chapter of this story arc of these first few albums. Uh, Power of the Dragon Flame, the um, title track, followed Knight Rider of Doom, which followed a minute and a half, you know, instrumental, you know, classical style song. So it's kind of like Rhapsody kind of had a little bit of like a almost like a, a pattern yeah thank you a pattern like on some of these albums and then like the next song would be a little bit more chill and then the fifth track would be like a little bit more wild and so i think that they kind of stuck with that in here but um yeah wisdom of the kings i think is just an underrated rhapsody song and if i uh if i heard them play it live um i can't recall if i have in the past i'll have to look that up but um i i know i would have gotten very excited to hear that i have to pull up the um the set list from atlanta just to kind of um jog my memory as to what they oh they did play wisdom of the kings and i'm sure i probably marked out for it um <laughs> you know it's right funny, after I, emerald sword no less so nice i it's funny as i as i went back to this i didn't think uh, it's been a while since we've chosen the same song of the week i had another one pegged and i'm curious if it was you know, in contention or maybe your second choice, if you will. So when we get there, I'll mention it. Um, but after two just gems, they, they go into this like interlude, Heroes of the Lost Valley. And it starts with the sound of running water. And then all of a sudden, the harpsichord and the flute kick in. It loses me a bit when they start with the horse's neighing and the absolutely <laughs> god-awful narrator. Uh, it's just a bit too cheesy for my taste. But it really is just a segue into eternal glory which kind of reminds me of this dark march for the first minute of this tune, almost like the Wizard of Oz when they're storming the castle type of thing. Um, and it then it begins to pick up speed a bit, but it remains very dark and brooding, which is kind of a theme for this album. I think this album, by and large, was just darker than the original album. And I don't know if that's because of the story or just because of the approach to the songwriting, um, but just a dark album in spots um the verses are very slow almost plotting but it builds to this bigger chorus um not my favorite song on the album but i do appreciate how the band was maturing in their approach to the songwriting um and then you get to this instrumental section which almost has like a gaelic quality to it which is kind of odd but kind of cool um a bit long-winded but an interesting track i would say uh yeah um the 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 narrator um sure. i i do need to bring it up cuz i think that he got um he got brought over to the luca Turilli albums as well cuz i if i'm pretty pretty sure he was part of um uh ancient forest of elves sir um, jay lansford is his name by the yeah, way yeah um christopher lee he is not uh, i'll just yeah. say that um it, it's a little bit Christopher Lee kind of brings a gravitas to what is arguably some, you know, cheesy source material. And I think that um, the, the the guy on this album kind of just adds more cheese to the cheese. Um, oh, it's, it's like it's like taking grated cheese and putting it on top of a cheese salad. I mean, like it just... Yeah, but that actually sounds good, whereas this narration is not. <laughs> um I I remember even thinking it was goofy when I was young. I mean, this album came out when we were like 16 years old, and I still was like, "What? what come on!" Um, and obviously, the band, you know, felt like they needed to have a better 
narrator because they went and got one of the, the best greats. narrator possible. <laughs> yeah, uh, who actually could sing too, which is a, a bonus. Um, so yeah, not much to say t- about Heroes of the Lost Valley. It really is kind of just a segue track, but uh, Eternal Glory. Yeah, um, I do believe that the and I, I didn't have the time to dig back into the story. Um, but I do believe that this is kind of a darker portion of the story. And I think that the lyrics and the music kind of uh, represent that. And I think that's what you're kind of hearing with the darkness, especially the, this and uh, beyond the gates of infinity that follows. It's like 15 total minutes of, of like pretty dark content. Um, and I think that makes it for it kind of cool. Cause like, Rhapsody, uh, if, you, if you're including that first album and the first few tracks of this album, they've been pretty upbeat up to this point. So now we're kind of, you know, as any good RPG would have, there's a kind of a darker element here. Um, this song was actually uh, written before Legendary Tales. It is on their demo, which is called Eternal Glory. Uh, I believe it is the only song on that demo that didn't appear on Legendary Tales. So they must have held this one in their pocket uh, to be used at a later time. So, uh, yeah, I it, I think this is a, a really good tune. It's long, but it's um, has, like, lots of different, um, you know, parts to it and stuff. And, yeah, there's, like, a part where it gets, like, really, I don't know, it, it, can, it can get, like, really pretty dark. But I do like that um, it kind of flows and tells a story, and it's not like a seven and a half minute track that's repetitive it, it really no it has... definitely moves I, yeah. i'll give it credit for that it's just uh a little bit much and then they follow it up like you said with beyond the gates of infinity which is another seven plus minute song you know smack dab in the middle of this thing what what are your thoughts on this i'll share mine momentarily yeah the, I, this i think was is more of that it kind of has a little bit more of a darkness to it i mean they're singing about eating bowels and uh <laughs> You know, it's, 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 it's sounds it's, like it's, Wednesday around these parts. What can yeah, I say? For real. Um, it's, uh, it's not terribly different from eternal glory where it's, it's, it's almost like, it's almost the same length. It kind of has like these different portions to it where there's, you know, parts where it slows down and parts where it's more symphonic. And, um, it's, uh, it's a power metal song at heart, but, um, there, there's some like, real kind of creepiness towards the end of it. Um, I, I've always thought this was one of the darker Rhapsody songs, uh, like of all of them really. Yeah. And that's why I say this album just has a darker feel in general in many, in many respects. I almost forgot about this song. It, it, when I went back to it, it took me a while. I'm like, Oh yeah, I remember this kind of proggy in many ways. It's all over the place and there's changes of pace, both in terms of tempo and the way that they, you know, they kind of go into um, an acoustic guitar in spots, but then there's other places where it's extremely dark and heavy. But Fabio sounds great on this tune, and it's very unique. It has this quirky bridge. Um, and then you get into the instrumental section around four minutes or four and a half minutes in, and it's a dead ringer for something that would have been on the Castlevania Symphony of the Night soundtrack. And then the rest of the song has like Symphony X vibes, which you'd never expect from a pow- from a power metal band, but... It's an interesting tune. I like I said, I forgot about it, but going back to it, it, it really um it's one of the more interesting tracks on the album. I still don't know what my thoughts are on it, but I like it. I don't know if I love it, but it's a lot to sink your teeth into. Yeah, and and that's kind of where I'm at with uh, 
you know, kind of the whole middle of this album, uh, probably the next track, Wings of Destiny, is my favorite of the the middle portion of the album. But I just think that like the middle por- portion of the album is, is good to very good, but not great. And I think that's kind of what I, when I was saying, there's a bit of a dip in the middle for me. That said, Wings of Destiny, one of my all time favorite um, power ballads. I feel like there wasn't a to me there wasn't like a real ballad on legendary tales like echoes of tragedy was it was kind of somber but it didn't really have almost like a love song kind of vibe to it whereas like this really does i always liked it and it has like the you know the flutes it's just this very baroque uh baroque-esque kind of just chill mellow ballad and i just thought it was it's probably one of my favorite of the rhapsody ballads that they've done over the years i think it's a really great tune and and i'm it's blowing my mind going back and looking at this set list from atlanta because they played a lot from this album they played emerald sword wisdom of the kings eternal glory wings of destiny and and symphony of enchanted lands um yeah it's it's like half the album yeah, over half the album because of the some of the songs they chose. Uh, just going back to Wings of Destiny for a second, it's like a, a you have the ballad thing going on. It's it's a bit cheesy, but what I'll say is in many ways it's almost like a Fabio Leone vocal solo. And I think of like the great Italian singers, like a Pavarotti or something like that. And this is like Fabio's attempt at you know just belting out some of this like miraculous stuff it's almost like the song is secondary to 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 fabio's vocals in many ways but it works he he does a phenomenal job and the album needed something like this because there's a again it's darker it's a little bit slower than you know rage of the winter or something like that from the last album but it's it needed this like break in the action if you will because you get to dark tower of the abyss and now you're talking about this really neoclassical power metal tune in in many ways and it's a song that's like i don't know i don't know if it's their best but it definitely is memorable And when you hear it like between the church organ and spots and the fact that they have this really catchy solid chorus i like this song a lot um and and it's another one of those songs that's kind of buried on the back end of this disc but it's a really memorable tune the one problem i think that i have with it Again, they use these spoken word parts, which just kind of kill the mood a little bit, and it takes you out of the moment. But the song is actually quite good, and it it's, it provides nice contrast to Wings of Destiny. I I absolutely love just the um, just that violin intro. Like it it really sounds like just a symphony orchestra, um, a very like highly classical piece. Um, it this reminds me of like a library in Castlevania kind of song. And the funny thing is, is that I was playing symphony of the night at the time that I got this album. So to me, like this album and that game really go hand in hand, at least in my memory. Um, But yeah, I agree with you. This I think is where the album starts to pick up again for me um, because I think it's just, they do such a good job of combining that classical music with metal like it starts out you think you're listening to a classical song and then all of a sudden you know your guitars and your drums come in and then here we go um i think this is one of the better songs on the album i love the just the um those 
just those like those co- those chords of the the keyboards um and it's has kind of like a an old organ or a harpsichord kind of sound to it but it really um adds to the medieval feel of the entire thing because i mean it's a it's base it's a story it's literally a medieval story if you read the story it's it's a a campaign right out of Dungeons and Dragons and all no doubt. there's a, there's a, a, the main character, one of the main characters in the story is a dragon. There's a dragon, a big red dragon on the cover of the album. Um, so, but, uh, yeah, I, 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 I like this song quite a bit and, um, I kind of forgot that I liked it as much as I did because I just feel like a lot of the middle of this album kind of in my mind, all kind of blends together. Yeah, exactly. Well, you get to riding the winds of eternity towards the back end, and it's like before this gigantic epic title track. This orchestration and the way this starts is like this triumphant, almost victory-sounding song. But the song itself is actually one of the bigger bangers on the album. It's very heavy. It's very tight. And I would argue it's two really good tunes in a row on the back end of this thing. Although, be it, this one's a lot more straightforward, and the keyboards are just so good throughout this thing. I would have guessed that this was going to be your song of the week if 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 we hadn't chose Wisdom of the Kings. I would have. I, my guess was that this is the one you would have chosen. Was it? Yeah, in, I was mean, it in it's, a, it's a it's a good song. I, I like it. I like it a lot too. I, I really think the last three tracks on this album are really good. Um, the band released a. Uh, a compilation album in 2004, which was kind of like the greatest hits of the Emerald sword saga. And, uh, this song was on there, um, it, with wing wings of destiny, wisdom of the Kings and Emerald sword. It was, those were the selections from, uh, symphony of enchanted lands. And it certainly deserved to be on that list. It's, um, it's one of the shorter songs on the album, not counting the, the segues. I think it is the shortest of the, you know, full, full-length songs um it uh again it it slows down towards the end and gets kind of um emotional you know with the pianos and everything yeah and then it just picks up again and and it kicks back in and um it's it it is a very good song it's probably in my top you know three or four on this album I, i still think wisdom of the kings is the is the song to beat on this album i think it's just such a such a banger and like it's it doesn't, you know, it's not super long the way Eternal Glory and Beyond the Gates of Infinity like are well over seven minutes. But yeah, this is a really good song too, and and I, I don't really blame you for thinking that it might be a choice for song of the week for me. Rhapsody would become synonymous with some really long epic tunes and i think the title track here which ends the album proper is no different and i say that because you're talking about a 13 plus minute song that kind of caps this thing off and it, it it from jump street it has this big epic feel and it takes a little while to get going it, it kind of comes out a little slow out of the gate but when it does has this amazing way of having Fabio just soar over the rest of the band. And what's interesting, and I never noticed it until this week, but it has a bit of a Manowar feel to it in some of the passages, just in terms of the way that it kind of builds and the song just builds and builds and builds. But it's very well done. And there's also parts of this where it harkens back to other pieces 
of the album, which I thought is a really nice touch, something Queensryche does with Eyes of a Stranger, for example. Um, really well done. It is not my favorite tune. It's a little bit much, but at the same time, I do think it is a perfect end to the album, if that makes sense. Yeah, um, I really like this song, and I was really excited that they played it uh, when we saw them. And I think they probably cut out some of the the dramatic stuff from the beginning of the song. Cause this song is actually broken into four, four parts. Um, and I think that it's the third part where it real the song really picks up and that's the meat of the song. The beginning of the song is this almost like a dirge. Um, I think in the story, it's meant to be kind of like a, um, uh, what's the word I'm looking for when, uh, a eulogy uh, for the, mm. the fallen dragon in the story. Um, and then get you every time. Yeah. It's very emotional. And, but then it just kicks in with that, like, Oh man, that, that violin with the, um, it just has such a medieval, like, you know, swinging your grog back and forth. And like, you know, at the, at the, at the Ren fair, like it, it's um once this song gets going, man, this is one of my favorite songs on the album. I toyed with making it huh. my song of the week. It probably was my runner-up. Um, I just think Rhapsody does such a good job of um, making these long, epic tunes. Like Legendary Tales, um, the title track was seven and a half or uh, almost eight minutes long. And then they were just like, you know, hold my mead. Uh, and we're like, here's thir- you know, 13 minutes of... of pure unadulterated you know cheese yeah like just medieval cheese but in the in the best sort of way i absolutely love this song um it reminds me sort of not really in any sort of musical way but it reminds me of luca's first solo album and that really epic final track king of the nordic twilight which was like 11 and a half minutes long um I just it's a, that's another one where it's just like there's no reason a 11 minute power metal song should be that good and it is and this one is no different. I think it ends the album just in such a a, a strong bombastic I'll bring that word back again just a really awesome way and like you said it brings back some of the musical themes from that first track that that instrumental track that let off the whole album, um, which kind of is, is, is a nice way of, you know, doing like a, just going in a circle and, and kind of finishing off where you started. Um, yeah, th- this is such a great song. I, 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 I definitely, um, for those not familiar with, it, I definitely urge you to go and just listen to the whole, the whole damn song. If you can, if you can handle the kind of the, the cheesiness of it all, I think it's just so, so well done. And it's definitely a, a, I think a gem on this, on this album, you know, and the album is not short. It clocks in at over 55 minutes. And you sent me a message earlier today, almost like a uh, reminder to check out where dragons fly, which is kind of the B side to the Emerald sword single. And it's a bonus track in certain um, regions on this album. And as I went back and I listened to it, I don't remember this at all. I'm wondering if I've ever even heard this song, but I have to say that having now listened to it, it reminds me of like a medieval or I should say like an RPG set in like a medieval universe. And it has like a bit of a ballad like feel to it. Although it's kind of a nondescript song. I can certainly see why it was chosen for a 
you know, the bonus track. It didn't need to be on the album proper, but at the same time, there was a charm to it that I, I have to admit, I kind of liked. Yeah, I think it would have fit the album nicely, although it probably would have made the album feel a little bit bloated, I think. So, you know, things get cut. It, it makes sense. But um, it's kind of in that that vein of, of uh, you know, there's a forest of unicorns on Legendary Tales and there's Village of Dwarves from Dawn of Victory. And they're like these really over-the-top um, medieval-style songs. And I feel like this one, although it's a little bit, more like you said more ballad-esque um it is it is i think it's definitely worth listening to and um they also have a uh a remake of land of immortals where they kind of change up the instrumentation a little bit from the original version on um legendary tales and this is actually the version that ended up on that compilation that i mentioned earlier um but uh you know if you're looking for a different way of hearing land of immortals i guess you can check that out but um yeah, uh, that that's uh, that's uh, Symphony of Enchanted Lands. I, I had to go and and get the the box no. set off the shelf. Um, I will that never thing forget. Must have this cost a pretty penny. Yeah, I remember using like a CD now discount coupon or something to order this, and um, I I ordered this and Pink Bubbles Go Ape and Chameleon all at the same time. And I remember. I'm sure your dad was very happy with his credit card statement. That yeah, month. well, I I stayed home from school to intercept the mail, literally, nice. and that was back when you had to guess when the mail was coming because there wasn't tracking numbers or anything. But for those who are uh, watching the video version of the podcast, um, it, the it came with a a full colored you know book with all of these. Uh, you know, the, the story of the album, the story of the band, um, like bios for each of the the band members, which I thought was super cool. Um, you know, if you ever wanted to know what Luca Torelli's favorite movies were or who his favorite actor is or who he'd like to meet or uh, what his future plans are, you could actually see if those came true. Um, really interesting stuff. Um it also came with these, like almost like they were like Rhapsody trading cards. Oh my god! Of, of each uh, member of the the band, uh, some stickers and some tattoos. I'm uh, shocked you haven't used the tattoos. No, I, I, I think this was just one of those things where I didn't want to mess with the. I just wanted to keep it as it was. Um, I'm trying to see if I could. You, I could make. This was the the I always thought this was really cool the Rhapsody uh, sword necklace. Nice. Um, and then there was also a a pin which I I'm I'm sad that I never put this on my lapel and wore it to high school uh, with my. I'm sure the brothers at Shamanad would have thought very highly of. I don't think the... they would have known how to react to something like that. <laughs> so uh, this was a, I just this was the first um this is the first like box set that I ever owned and so like it, it really has always held a, a really special place for me and i've always like kept it and i kept everything inside of it in, in in good shape and left everything in the plastic and all that so um i have very fond memories of, of this uh album and and getting this box set in the mail and just being excited about getting some a, a piece of physical media in the mail which is so rare these days if if not you know non-existent, non-existent. for some people, you know, I I do. I love I love seeing that. It makes me makes me pine for the old days. 
I'm going to give my score first here. I, like I said, I had given Legendary Tales an 8.5. I think I actually like this album. It's a shade more. Uh, I thought that might happen going into it. Uh, it's an 8.75 for me. It's just a touch better. I think it's a little bit more complete. It's not perfect. It has its problems. Um, not least of which, like, I just, it's hard for me to get into music when the thematic element is just not really in my wheelhouse. I have no problem playing in Dungeons and Dragons. I don't necessarily want to hear music about it. But that being said, the music is so good and, and, and the melodies are so in infectious that i can't not give it a good score because it's a great album and, and probably my favorite rhapsody album of all time i i love it um i actually i'm gonna give it a lower score than i gave legendary tales but a higher score than you gave it there you go <laughs> uh i'm gonna give it an 8.875 um nestled in between 8.75 and and uh, and nine um I still think it's a very good album. It, it's a blast to listen to. I just, um, I think that it lacks the, um, the nostalgia factor of legendary tales being the first time I ever heard Rhapsody and what a huge moment in my music listening history that was. I mean, that was such a big deal. That was, I'll never forget hearing, warrior of ice for the first time at Ralph's house and just being absolutely floored at, because I literally just started listening to metal. And now I'm hearing this, that it's unlike anything I'd ever heard before. And I knew that I needed to get into this band. And so, you know, <laughs> so this just happens to be the second album instead of the first. And I just think that, um, there, I think that the, the greatness of the songs is a little bit more consistent on legendary tales um i mean warrior vice forest of uh, unicorns rage of the winter flames of revenge land of immortals lord of the thunder the the title track i mean every song is just so epic and when we get to dawn of victory uh which i would assume is will be maybe late late this year or maybe sometime next year um <clears throat> i'm gonna have even more positive things to say i think just as a spoiler, I mean, time changes, but I think I probably will rank Dawn of Victory the highest of the three albums, at least based mm. on re-listening to it today directly after Symphony of Enchanted Lands. I just think that overall it's a, I, I enjoy it more, um, but, you know, that's still to come. But that said, uh, it's still a, a really like an all-time great album for me and, and um, one of my favorite Rhapsody albums, honestly. Um, I feel like the early stuff in particular just really, really resonated with me. And that whole, you know, Emerald Sword saga that started with Legendary Tales and ended with Power of the Dragon Flame just has so much, so many memorable songs on it that um, I think I would be, I would have a hard time making like a, a one disc long greatest hits album of just the songs from that era because I think, I don't know, I think that it wouldn't fit all everything I'd want to play on it onto one 80 minute you know maximum disc not that that we need to confine ourselves to that but uh i still i still hold myself to that old standard of playlists having to be under 80 minutes because those are the rules so. i listen i follow those rules with my playlist every single uh every single month um but that being said i i totally understand what you're saying I, i'm sure we will get to all of this stuff and then some uh you know in time um but uh, good choice, good choice. Uh, happy to go back to, to some of this stuff. 
it's been a little it's been a little while, but uh, I'm glad we I'm glad we could go back. Um, there's there's a lot of news that I want to just bring up before we uh, talk about next week. After 191 episodes, it finally happened, and I'm not even counting the bonus episodes that we do for our Patreon folks each month. But Winter Sun has announced their new album, Time Two. I never thought I would say those words. I'm still not convinced that it's done, despite well, well, the announcement. Let's let's put it, make it clear. The album was announced a very long time ago. The it was announced like was, 15 years the ago. The album was announced to have been completed <laughs> this this week. Right. I, my so so therein lies my question: Is this thing going to see the light of day? Because I heard that they actually started another Kickstarter for this thing. Is that possible? Yeah, it is. I, I mean, oh my god, the the meme worthiness uh, on on social media it's 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 good for a laugh. Um, my understanding is that, and I could be wrong. So, re- anybody who's listening, reach out and let me know if I if I've got my facts wrong. But the previous Kickstarter was not for Time Two; it was for the studio the, or something the, the yeah and and the the album that preceded it um the seasons album is that which was terrible um yeah i know a lot of people were not a big fan of that so but um you know i did see some some people complaining that um you know this is a band that's on a pretty big label i think they're on nuclear blast or century media one of those bigger ones and so like the idea of of having a kickstarter i mean hey listen the band's got a lot of fans. I'm sure that they're going to probably pull in another million dollars and they can oh do whatever it is they want with it. I'm glad that this isn't a band that I'm a big fan of because to me, like, I feel like it's like extorting the, the their fans. But, you know, I mean, people, they have the, the option to give money or not, <clears throat> not give money. So whatever. It's the, I will definitely check out the album when it comes out hell maybe we should just do an episode on it because i think it's going to be just one of those things where everyone's going to have something to say about it and everyone's going to be listening to it so we might as well throw our hat in the ring and and throw in our two cents but man like how do you live up to the to the hype of something like this impossible you can't it's going to be it's going to be a flop and i'm not hoping it flops i just don't think it's going to live up to the hype but we definitely at some point should do probably time one and then we can always do time two when that comes out we did do time one did we really yeah i completely (laughs) forgot all right so there you go so go back in the archives and i'll go listen to it again i think i did um that being said by the time it was so memorable for you (laughs) No, like I, I like the album. I, I think I saw. I think I was excited to hear them because they were playing seventy thousand tons. So now it all it's coming back to me a little bit. But like, it was a, that was a long time ago that we did that. I, I think if it was um, April of last year. Oh well, it's it's been a long year, my friend. It's been it's been a long <laughs> year. No, um, but anyway, I, I look forward to hearing this album. I think we should definitely do it. And um, just fascinating that it's finally coming out. Um, in other news, uh, I heard uh, yeah. I heard you're getting VD on the ship this year. I am. I am <laughs> so excited to get Vision Divine back. Um, it's funny because as we talk about Rhapsody, you know, don't think this didn't occur to me when they announced Vision Divine. You know, Vision Divine has a new singer. I obviously have not seen the guy live, but Anger is on the ship. I would be shocked if Fabio Leone does not come out on stage with raps without with vision divine. Oh, that, that would, I would be very sad if I missed something like that. I mean, I'm just saying, I, I think it's going to happen. 
I mean, there's no reason why it shouldn't. I, no, I think every, good everybody's friends. on good terms and everything. So yeah, I'm gonna. In fact, I'm gonna I'm gonna reach out to uh, Olaf Thorson, double alum of the show, and just tell him like this has to happen. Yeah, he, uh, him and and Ash are our only uh, dual uh, mem- dual what you, interviewers uh, or interviewees. So yeah, I, he's he's got a lot of clout here on the metal exchange or maybe exactly. we have clout with him i don't know there you go that's what I'm i saying. guess we'll Let's, see we'll find we're, out we're about to find out how much um joey vera who is one of just the greatest live bass players i've ever seen has parted ways with merciful fate another band we covered in the archives um i only mention that because i feel like the guy is always busy with stuff but for whatever reason he doesn't stay in one place very long but my god what a what a fantastic bass player and every time i've seen him live in different iterations i always am am, am Blown away by not only his, his his proficiency, but his live show presence is just fantastic. But uh, he's decided to leave Merciful Fate. Um, the hardest working band in the business, Terra Maze, is coming out with a new single. So I thought that that was just something worth mentioning. Uh, I got some what, – what, they said that uh, I think it's coming out uh, February 20 – sorry, February 16th. The single is called Perfect World. Um, and it will be it'll be released alongside a new EP and a new full length album on the same day, and a double live DVD that was recorded <laughs> the same month. Uh, no, they they they, they, they I, I joke, but they uh, they've been doing phenomenal work the last bunch of years, so I credit to them. And finally, some tour news: um, a, a tour that we actually spoke about briefly on our um, monthly Patreon chat with some of our Patreon folks, but Camelot has announced. A U.S. tour, a second run of shows with help coming from not only Hammerfall in most markets, but ad infinitum. This is a powerhouse tour. We here in New York and a couple of other shows in the Northeast are not getting Hammerfall. We're getting Seven Spires instead. And I'm okay with that, uh, having seen Hammerfall recently with Halloween. But this is a hell of a tour package that's coming uh, to North America. And just so people know the dates, it's starting in Baltimore, Maryland on April 25th, finalizing or finishing up in Tampa, Florida on May 25th. So they're going out for about a month, hitting all corners of uh, North America. Hell of a tour. Yeah, that's a good one. Um, And, uh, you know, it's great news for Ad Infinitum. I believe this is their first U.S. tour. Yes. Uh, so that's great for them. Great exposure. Um, it's great for Camelot because it means that they'll have Melissa Bonney, uh, you know, on call for, um, you know, her parts because uh, she performs live with Camelot, or at least has been. Um, she did the last tour and definitely did uh, when the band played at Prague Power. Uh, so yeah, that, that is, that's, that's a hell of a, hell of a package. I, I, um, I hope that, uh, I can see it somehow. I don't know. It's, everything is in flux right now. Um, I was so excited speaking of Joey Vera to see that armored saint was playing a show in Rochester and chances are by the time it happens, I won't even be here to see it. What are (laughs) the odds of that? (laughs) I know it's like when dream theater came to Rochester and it happened to be the same night as Ralph's wedding. And I missed that too. So, you know, uh, they've got, they, they really got to run these things by you before they book Rochester. But uh, alas, here we I know. are. I'll, I'll have to make a call to Olaf as well. Yes. So he can start scheduling the Armored Saint tours from now on. Um, because talk about clout, right? Uh, so that brings us to next week. It's my turn uh, as you chose Rhapsody. And I want to talk about a band that you mentioned on your top 50 episode 
that we dropped last week. It's a band that was not on my list and quite frankly is a band that I just have not enjoyed as much as I did when I first heard them with this particular album, which again is now more than a decade old, which is crazy to me. But the band is Eclipse, uh, the melodic hard rock stalwarts that they are at this point. They're kind of They've been around the block for a while, but I want to talk about their 2012 release, Bleed and Scream, an album that, top to bottom, I think is by far their best. I, I, and, and, I, and I would say by far, I don't, I don't say that lightly, I think it is by far their best album, their most complete album, top to bottom, and an album that when I first heard it was in constant rotation for me. But it's been a while since I've listened to it. We've never talked about them on the podcast in long form, and I think the time is now. Uh, yeah, John Cena would agree. But um, yeah, this is a uh, this is a good one. Um, this was also, I believe, my first uh, Eclipse album, um, and it's a good one. Um, I think that the band has evolved quite a bit since this album came out. They almost have a bit of a, I think, a, almost a poppier kind of sound these days. Um, this I think probably this album, why I like this album as much as I do because it doesn't I mean not that I mind the poppy elements but this album rocks. This one is there's some heavy hitters on this one, but the melody is there and and that's what I want to talk about because there's some songs on here that are just some of my all-time favorites, two or three in particular that just really stand out. Yeah, this I think this like record somebody heard it and like literally gave birth to the Frontiers label like that the next day. Pretty like- much. I mean this thing, I mean, <laughs> when you think of Frontiers, you think of like this album and then everything that came after it. So I, I, I think it'll be a fun conversation. I look forward to that. And then uh we, we have a couple of interesting episodes for early February lined up. I'm going to do a recap of 70,000 Tons of Metal like I did last year, kind of going through the good, the bad, and the ugly, and a request that we'll be doing the second week as a one-off in February. And I started listening to it today, and I'm sick to my stomach. I direct, don't know. I direct all your hate mail to Keith Nickel, PO um, Box. Yeah, <laughs> six, this, six, this, six. Is, this is <laughs> – this is this is really tough, but we'll we'll get through it and uh, other you know better times ahead. But uh, should be fun. Let's uh, thanks all of our Patreon folks for supporting us and supporting the show. Please give us a like and a follow on any social media platform or even in your podcast app. It helps other people find the show. So thank you to all of you for supporting us. And uh, good times ahead as we march on through twenty twenty four. Hey, hey! Before we go, uh, mm. I don't know if you've heard this, but. Um, did you know that Graham Bonnet is going to have Van Williams and uh, Mr. Uh, Jeff uh, – what's his last Loomis. name? Jeff Loomis. You know, it's funny. On <laughs> this I, next I, album. I, I did hear familiar. that. I did hear that. And, and, and Graham broke the news today, I think, on his Facebook page. Um, we had this scoop weeks ago. But uh, I digress. Um, Blabbermouth didn't seem interested when we let him know, but that's a, neither here nor there. So anyway, I'm I'm glad that that's now official. I think that's, I look is forward that our to first it. scoop. <laughs> Might be our. I first think we've had scoop. other scoops, but the, but this was that was a that was a bigger one. That was a bigger one. Um, this is, I'm, the, I'm, I'm this happy is your biggest that. scoop since you worked at Scoops. That's exactly right. Um, they they did call me Mister King Scooper for a while, but um, <laughs> story for another day. Story for a bonus podcast, maybe. But uh, thanks to everyone for your support. We will check in with you next week as we do uh, a melodic rock album that we haven't done um, many of throughout the course of the show. So it should be a fun one. 
Agreed, and uh, just a reminder, if you haven't listened to the new Crown album, get get going on that, because that's... I, uh, I got a, a text from uh, one of our friends, uh, Justin, uh, the uh, yesterday, and he was listening to our episode and uh, had some comments about it, and I said, go listen to that Crown album. It's a, You're going to love it. It's a banger. So, uh, I... I don't know. I, I, by the end, of, by the time I, uh, twenty years from now, I might look back on that and be like, "That was the best album that came out in 2023." So we'll see. It's, it's possible. In fact, I'm going to go listen to it myself because I enjoyed it so much. But uh, enjoy, my friend. I will catch up with you soon. Sounds good, man. Take care. <laughs>